0: Just a reminder, our giving, as we're back to the two-service format, you can either do the giving online, that'll be the quickest way to get that um, deposited, or you're welcome, we have a giving basket in the back, you can leave your giving in there, and it'll be taken care of that way. So I trust you continue to be faithful in your giving, as the Lord continues to meet our needs during this time. i am gonna be reading from John 21, John chapter 21, the first eight verses. it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. The Lord, may be with Pastor Adam as he brings your word to us this morning. My, his mind be focused and clear. Might your spirit illumine him, and then, Lord, might your spirit illumine us as the word goes forward. Lord, might you take its truth and print it upon our hearts, that with it we would fight sin. Lord, we would be encouraged, we would be convicted that the living word would have its way this morning. In the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
1: Um, remember where we left off last week. Um, as we continue this portrait of Peter. what's the point? Well, remember, we're moving towards First um, Peter, and we'll be in there through exposition for a season of time, right? And so it's helpful to understand the themes that Peter is writing about in First Peter. Um, it's helpful to see his pastoral mindset and the way that he addresses the church in a very difficult situation. Um, As I spoke to you last week, there's something important about um, maturing through life's experiences. Again, it's not that you don't have insight apart from experiencing something difficult. You could assess something difficult and try to encourage someone through a difficult scenario without having to demonstrate empathy, as it were, that you have also experienced this. Um, you're still able, you're still able to be used and capable in those moments. But nonetheless, there is certainly uh, a a great confidence that comes to you and to those you minister to based on you having gone through those experiences. Uh, There is just a different level of encouragement that you can bring. There are certain insights that you'll have um, ways in which you'll know when to push and when to pull back better than even the most well-intentioned person in the room. That's kind of how Peter is. As a man who speaks to the church of difficulty, uh, roughly thirty years beyond his own events in life, a man matured and capable, uh, a man who can say the right word to a church in difficult circumstance and know just how far to push without pushing too far, a way to comfort and encourage. Last week, so, so we're coming back to look at how did Peter become this man of wisdom and experience, but we're looking at a portrait, as we saw last week when we ended our time of Luke, I think it's 22. Jesus warning Peter of the coming satanic attack. You remember, leading up to that, we looked at several texts where Peter insisted that he would not be the one who would make a blunder of such an important set of circumstances. He was going to be the one, for sure, out of everybody, at the expense of everybody around, he would be the one that would persevere. He was ready for the most intense action that was to come his way. He was absolutely, emphatically, as the text said, sure of it. But again, pushing past Peter's kind of bluster, Jesus warned him of the satanic attempt that is coming to drive him away to try and make him lose his faith, as it were. And yet, Jesus also, as he warns, he encourages at the exact same time, you recall, that he said, remember, Peter, Satan is asked to have you. And remember, it was a a plural there, as in he desires to have you all. And of course, to Peter, he would have thought, well, I I get why. It may work on them, but not on me. I, I have just told you. I will not, even when they do. I get the dynamics of the situation. And then Jesus moves it to a singular. But I've prayed for you. Um, So it is that Jesus encourages him. I have prayed for you, however. And then he tells him that after you turn again, Now, remember, it's not, and and if after this difficult life set of circumstances, you're able to find a way out and return and don't fall away. Turn and encourage your brothers. No, Jesus gives promise in the place of difficult circumstance. I have prayed for you, and I hope that's meaningful to you. Again, we read these texts um, because we believe them to be without error, and we believe them to be without failure. They They are infallible. It won't lead us down the wrong path and give us false hope. We rely on these texts as words, not simply to a people in time, but to God's people for all of time. So the fact that God says, Jesus says to um, Peter, I have prayed for you, that ought to mean something significant for you. Because you profess him as Peter does, that you only possess one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He prays for you. Um, and, and then he gives encouragement. And, and after your difficult set of circumstances, which you will have them, and all of us who have been alive longer than a day have realized some of them, some more severe than others, you will have difficult circumstances in this age. And, and yet I have prayed for you. And so when you continue to persevere, when you repent and turn, use those set of life circumstances and encouragements not just simply to be self-absorbed, but use them to strengthen others. Um... However, at this moment, when Jesus is speaking to Peter about when you turn, Peter's still just not able to hear it, right? And again, we talked about that, too, that there's a way to encourage people, and parents get this with their children in a certain set of dynamics. And you get it no matter if you have children or not in different relational webs. But there's a way in which you can speak to a person that a person cannot hear. And you know, well, I want to say this, but it's just going to bounce right off of them. And there's some things in your own life that that is true of you as well. You're not, you don't have ears to hear, as it were, quite yet. You're not in a place to be able to absorb that kind of exhortation. Parents and children have that dynamic where sometimes you feel like they're just going to have to learn this. You you have that sense about it. Um, So with Peter. And so with all of us. Again, none of us are above it. This is the human condition in the text where we also find ourselves, and yet we find the same encouragement. Um, Peter is still blinded in these moments, just prior to the garden event where Jesus is about to be arrested. Peter is still blinded by his own weakness. Jesus has spoken to him that satanic attack is coming. I have prayed for you, and you will turn again. So encourage your brothers. And Peter's like, I still can't follow. I, I don't understand. Calvin notes, again, I mentioned this last week, Peter is indeed desirous to do what is right. There's no doubt about that. He does intend to do what is right. But so with Peter, so with us. He fails to perceive, however, just how much he labors under the weakness of his own flesh. He he still just can't perceive it. He sees himself differently, even though the Lord has spoken directly to him. It says something about our own failed perception of ourselves, uh, how we over, perhaps, inflate our strengths, overlook our weaknesses. So also Peter, he's failing to perceive. Now, as we continue the portrait this morning, notice how often it is. Again, these are kind of universal norms to the human condition. It's specific to Peter in this text, but it's applicable to all. That how often it is, and, and maybe this is to you a warning, or maybe it is to you an encouragement, or it is a way that we ask and plead that you lay it to your conscience for future reference. But it is so often with all of us, and, and, and kind of the, the mechanics and mathematics of life, that things often in a difficult set of circumstances get worse before they get better. Again, maybe the concern there or the thought there is to give patience to difficulty. Because difficult things will befall you. They have befallen you. They will again. It's kind of the pilgrim's life in this age. And remember, in entering into them, perhaps you should be patient and take a longer view. That maybe this set of circumstances will develop even worse Before it gets better. But there is hope for me in Christ. It indeed will get better. Um, Turn with me to John 18. That's where I want to begin. We'll look at three particular texts here out of John. We'll look at chapter 18. We'll glance over into chapter 20. And then we'll conclude with chapter 21. Turn over to John chapter 18. As we pick up with Peter again. How things will essentially get worse before they get better for Peter. uh, And so it is with life circumstances. Look in chapter 18. I'm going to begin in verse 4 of chapter 18. We'll look at 4 through 11 and then make a few brief comments. But again, remember, uh, there's many ways to look at these texts and to work on them in exposition. But what we're doing here is we're zeroing in on a portion of Peter. That is our concern here of how the gospel writers have written about Peter so that we can appreciate the great apostle that he is and a servant in, in the church. Verse 4, uh, then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, Came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Now, again, to give you the context, I need, to, for time's sake, we need to move forward. But here is the garden scene of his arrest. Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, uh, uh, don't miss the details of the text. Consider that and lay it up to your mind at perhaps another time, but it's worthy of meditation. The garden scene, uh, there, there, there's a gathering to arrest him. Uh, the gospels fill out that there were swords and so on and so forth. And then he spoke to them and they all fell down. There, the, again, uh, don't miss the detail of the power of that. Verse seven, so he asked them again, right, just a dose of humility. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Now, the text, carefully, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And then John, just in case you're like, well, I don't know, is that folklore. John notes in there, particularly to his gospel, who the individual was for historical record. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You see... As we've looked consistently from last week through the multiple texts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, including now John, Peter is a man, unarguably, of great courage and constitution. And and in this moment, he seems to be genuine and to prove that indeed, as he spoke just moments earlier, he is absolutely willing to die with Jesus. Remember, he said so. uh, My Lord, I'm going with you where you go. If you go, I go. If you go to prison, I go to prison. If you die, I die with you. That's who I am. And in this moment, there's an advancement on Jesus, and Peter draws his sword, strikes his ear, indicating that indeed he is the man he proclaims himself to be. Yet he fails to grasp. That his death is not required. That his death is not encouraging. Or that his death there with Jesus in the garden is in any way helpful to the project. Peter is thinking of Peter. You see, he continues to fail at perceiving what's truly developing in front of him. And even more, what's developing in front of him for his sake. Again, he's intervening, thinking he will deliver, but he's not the deliverer. And so he continues to act out foolishly and impulsively. Interestingly, neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke... It's it's an interesting study, and perhaps you've done some of it and looked at the way that the synoptic gospels report their stories and the details that seem different and the the details that seem the same and how they frame their narratival stories and who they highlight and who they kind of lowlight as they tell their own story of the life of Christ. But here with Peter, it's interesting to note that neither Matthew, Mark, nor Luke specifically named Peter as the one who drew the sword in the garden. They simply report in their reporting that it was, quote, one of the men who stood by. But not John. His interest is to share the detail of the man he admires. Peter is the one who did it. Now, continue in the text with me. If you jump in chapter 18, jump down to verse 15, and let's look at this next little section in the text uh, for our purposes regarding Peter. Look at verse uh, 15 through 18. Simon Peter, as the story picks up as John writes concerning this man of admiration. Simon Peter followed Jesus. As once again, you would basically expect the man of courage and great constitution, a man of conviction, he is ready to go the distance but he's going down the wrong path. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, just for notation, uh, that's John himself. He's reporting on himself. It's interesting how he reports himself in these texts coming up, too. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So, so John has access into where they're going to, tr- to begin the trial of Jesus. John is the man who knows, has connections. He knows to go in, and then he can, he can bring Peter with him. Verse 16, but Peter stood outside the door initially, right? So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them. Standing and warming himself. Jump down to verse 25. Now, just before, as you're looking at the speed of the narrative, how quickly the story is being told, you notice that um, so far as it reports, that, that Peter reflexively said he didn't know. Right? Remember how quickly things change. He, he, he just drew a sword. He's ready to fight in the garden, and, and, and it seems to be indicating even to the death. Uh, he follows Jesus, which would have been a bit traumatic to even follow him in and then go into the inner area and in the inner courts. And so quickly, as it moves from the focus on Jesus directly on the weakness of Peter, he's asked point blank, do you know this person? You're, you're not one of his disciples again, are you? No. How quickly it changed for Peter. And it seems to indicate in the text already, as the weight turns from perhaps the Lord directly to Peter's trial of temptation, um, he doesn't nearly report as having realized it yet. Again, failing to perceive the weight of his own weaknesses. You're not one of them, are you? Oh no, absolutely not. Warming himself by the fire. Failing to perceive, wait a minute, what's happening? Look at the text, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, right? Because why? Because that's what they were doing. They were standing and warming themselves. So Peter was also with them. He was standing and warming himself. John reminds us once again, now Peter was standing and warming himself. So they then said to him, quite naturally, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. No. And said... I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you, though, in in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, as John reports it, the bell rang. At once, a rooster crowed. You remember because that's part of the statement that Christ had warned him would happen to him. Here is the magnificent moment of Peter's undoing. Undoubtedly, Peter remembered his defiance that every single one of the men here will fall away but not me. Think about that in that moment. The rooster crowed like a bellwether. What flooded into his mind at that moment was the weakness of who he was. His defiance. I remember that I had just said and pledged that every one of these men around me that I always perceived as weaker than me would fall away, but not myself. Undoubtedly, without question, in that moment, he remembered his insistence that he was going to die with Jesus if need be now mere servant girl has led to his undoing how do we know in this instance that these thoughts of his self-confidence began to flood his mind how do we know when the rooster crowed what state of mind was peter in when he heard that rooster crow as was warned him you will deny me three times before a rooster crows now not a chance How do we know all of these instances of self-satisfaction and pride and confidence began to flood his mind in embarrassment because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Peter's denial. And each one of them writes along with it. Immediately afterward, he went out and quote, wept bitterly. One author makes such a comment about this text. He says, after Peter's denial, something changed. Now now frame this in mind of your own life, right? As we read the text of self-confidence, self-reliance, what kind of trap such conviction lays for us? And, And what to do with the moment of turning, where all is revealed, about our weakness and our frailty and our feebleness. What will occur in that moment? For Peter, we know what occurred is deep, bitter weeping. He was not the man that he turned out to be in his mind. He was this over here. And yet when tried, he was shown to be this over here and being able to kind of weigh those against one another led him to be crushed. After Peter's denial, something changed. Something died. It was a conversion-like moment for Peter, a turning point. Peter's own bold confidence and strength were killed. That's why he went outside to weep. He ran away because he knew what and who he truly was. He came to find himself to be a sinner in need of forgiveness. Recorded, perhaps you've read some of them along the way and used them devotionally, we would encourage you to do so. It's an excellent resource for prayer and meditation, short poems great prayers to rely upon, to to pray yourself, to use devotionally. But you know the text, the Valley of Vision, I wanted to read for you. It's perfect for this text in the scenario of our lives. The Valley of Vision poem entitled Thy Glory. This is the idea of taking uh, life's difficult circumstances, perhaps brighter lights that are shown on us than we were ready for. And then at that shining of the light, seeing ourselves as we truly are. And what do we do in that moment? How do we respond to finding out that we're different than we perceive ourselves to be? We're less than. The poem, Thy Glory, just one stanza says, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. Think of Peter now. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. To have nothing is to possess all. Do you see that? that, 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 that's the spiritual conversion for Peter. Let me learn by this paradox that, 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 that while I'm crushed and while I'm low, I'm growing, and I'm going higher. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. So it is with Peter. Jump with me to John 20, and this we'll look at briefly John 20, and then we'll conclude in John 21. So it is with Peter, indeed, that the valley is the place of vision. Uh, Chapter 20, it picks up with Simon Peter again, as we watch his development and growth in perseverance. To become that man of first and second Peter, and the thunderous preacher of Acts. Look at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran. Now, again, we talked about who Peter is. He is a leader. He's a leader among men. You'll notice that the way they frame brand new news that they gather that is exciting to the group. You'll see it through 20, and you'll see it in 21. Guess who they immediately want to get on board with the good news? Peter. Why? Because he's a man of influence. He's a man of good character. He's a man of strength. He's a leader. This is exactly what takes place in the text as it is framed. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, as John writes of himself. The one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out in the other, with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. This is interesting how John, um, it's just an interesting picture of how John reports on himself in relationship to Peter. It's a, it's a very interesting picture. I don't know what to make of it exactly. I'm sure commentaries have all kinds of comments we can make about what he really means here. But just look at the text. It's very interesting. Verse 4. Uh, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Just an interesting thing to note. And and he reached the tomb first. But there's also another little shift here, subtle shift here in the text that we realize, again, about the personality types. Uh, John, perhaps, um, clearly athletic as he reports to us. Uh, A fast runner. Um, uh, But perhaps more cautious in constitution. Uh, Verse 5, and stopping to look in, which is him. he, he saw, he stopped to look in, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, and we can all guess what happens next. Following him, right, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes again at this point in the text after all that had occurred as we mentioned about peter being in a valley a vision of sorts at this point we find peter still eager he, he's running to the tomb john pauses perhaps there's a reason john has paused and the text seems to indicate peter didn't wonder why john paused he should have went in He is still that eager, confused, doubtful, yet in some measure renewed man. He's renewed in the measure that shows his running to the tomb to continue to learn about the story of Jesus. All in all, after they look at the linens, each man is somewhat puzzled and seem concerned that they are not so sure what to make of the developments yet. Look at verse 9. It tells us that clearly. For they saw and they believed, but they didn't understand. They didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now jump down to our last text this morning where we pick up with them in Peter's need of greater restoration. Again, um, verse. Uh, we'll jump into verse 1 that was read for you earlier. Follow the text with me as we look at our last one this morning together. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. So John is writing for our benefit to learn more about Simon Peter and all of us, the disciples. But as we see Simon Peter's development, verse 2. Simon Peter, again, a leader among the men, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other, and two other of his disciples were together. So everybody's there, right, at at the sea of Tiberias. Verse three, Simon Peter said, so uh, again, making a decision for the group. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Right? This is, they're fishing all night prior to Jesus' appearing. They're just offshore. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus shouted out to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will have some. Now again, you you think of it in this point, it's um, striking that that they don't know it's him as the text reports it. They don't know that it's him over there, And, and think about that. Uh, why would you gather in the net and cast it on the other side of the boat from someone you have perceived yet to know who he is and he's telling you that, you know, if you just took your fishing line and fished on this side of the boat, I guarantee you're going to catch something. You'd be like, no, that's just not exactly how fish work. But, but, but But they don't. It's the beginning of something significant for them. So they cast it. They did. And now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of the fish. Now now I want you to note that because it'll develop in the text once more, give us a great picture of Peter. So note just so far, they have a net full of fish. And you know it's not like the ones that we would use nowadays with the small like green netting and we would scoop over and pick one up. Like you understand it's fishing net. And so again, not sure to size precisely, it's large. And at this point, it's large and heavy enough that the boat of men are not able to really control it. Join with me in the text. Um, Verse seven, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he himself was stripped of work, and he threw himself into the sea. Very consistent with his constitution. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they're not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on the land, They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Again, a portrait of a man, the thunderous preacher of Acts 2. Verse 11, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish. Are you sure? Yes, there was 153 of them. Again, just this, um, we don't have exactly a painted portrait of him. You can see him in the basilica and so forth and be like, well, that might approximate who he was based on the Renaissance idea. We do know he is a, a strong, large individual. Um, we see that from the text. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Uh, I'm sorry, it said, although, and although there were so many, again, overemphasizing, it's full of what large fish, how many of them, 153 of them, and although there were so many, large, 153 fish, the net was not torn. That's an interesting takeaway versus Peter's strength to pull it ashore. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What do we gain so far before we approach our final learn it, learning, learned piece in the portrait of Peter? Well, from throwing himself into the sea, to the swimming, to the shore, to the pulling of the fish up by himself onto the shore, Peter is still built of the same stuff. He's a strong, well-built, strong man of constitution and conviction. But he has fundamentally changed. We'll see that in the next text. Notice how his restoration to the Lord begins, the final healing that Peter needs to hear from Christ regarding his previous event. Join with me in verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Right? He, he knew, again, when you turn again, you will. There's going to be a turnabout. Uh, and, and you're going to hurt deeply. You're going to go through life's trials. You, Christian person, we're going to go through difficulty. Life's trials, you're going to hurt significantly. And when you turn again, because you will, you, you will be able. You will turn again. Strengthen those around you. Peter needs this last piece of conversation with Christ that prepares him to write 1 and 2 Peter 30 years later. Look at the final restoration to Simon. Jesus knows he needs it. So he said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John. Now you remember the son of John title comes from his initial calling where he's gathered in the disciples and they meet Jesus and he mentions to him, son of John. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice his answer. Now, remember, the disciples are there, so the question is still, is that what you really want to maintain? Is that you're the one out of all that loves me the most? Do you love me more than these? Look carefully at Simon's change. He said to him, yes, Lord. But notice the the clarification. You know that I love you. Now, yes, Lord, you know that I love you more than them. You know that I he says, Yes, Lord, you know what? Yes what? That I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, Peter has moved. He is moved from self-reliance and pride. He's humbled in need of restoration and encouragement. The question of our Lord to each one of us, are you actively or have you through set of circumstances learned humility? John Owen writes, It is clear that Peter, in his brokenness, will lift himself above others no more. Again, Jesus is speaking directly in front of the other disciples, committing absolute confidence to Peter's future ministry. Feed my sheep. The other men have no doubt of our Lord's confidence in Peter and the restoration that he has received. Notice finally what this is leaning toward. Verse 18, our final consideration for the morning. After Jesus pledges to Peter in front of the disciples, feed my sheep. Says verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Church history reveals, right? What does he mean by stretching out your hands and going where you don't want to go? Who's dressing you and who's stretching you out? Church history reveals by tradition that Peter was crucified. Again, there's the story then goes on throughout tradition. It's recorded that he was crucified, perhaps upside down. I'm not sure exactly of all of that, of the piece of upside down, because the language to honor Peter as a great apostle of the church is that he didn't want to be crucified right side up because he felt unfit for such a death as the Lord. We do know that this does seem plausible that this is the direction of his death would be indeed crucifixion. Some will take you where you don't want to go when you're old and they will spread out your hands and what does all that mean? John says it, it, it told him about the way in which he was going to glorify God in his death. Look at the final statement of the text. And after saying this, he said to him, "Follow me." You see, Jesus has saw it not so much Peter's triple retraction of his denial by probing him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now we're even. Even less does our Lord wish to embarrass him again before the other disciples by probing so deeply. So why ask him? Because it's what awaits Peter in the future that prompts Jesus to reinforce his ties with him as never before. Final question. What do we learn about ourselves through the portrait of Peter? Well, Each one of us has stumbled. Each one of us have fallen. We, too, have gotten stuck in bad habits, poor patterns, and sinful rebellion, self-reliance. It won't be the last time, by the way. As we learn in Galatians, it wasn't for Peter either. So what do we take away from that? That just as with Peter, so also with all of God's people, Jesus reaches out to forgive to restore and to empower us toward a life of new obedience. The question at the end of the text for you, for myself, all together, is will you follow him? That's it. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will enable us to indeed do so. You will help us, strengthen us, enable us to follow to be people of um, hardship that we are not addicted to comfort. All of us are, so help us in measured ways that don't overwhelm. Help us to break our idolatry and love of comfort. Help us with that so that we will be free and enabled to follow. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Just a moment there of quietness and thoughtfulness.